Good morning, Pathway Church. It's hard for me to believe that this is five Sundays that uh, I've shared with you, and I still have not met most of you. These are strange times. Yesterday, my wife was talking with her uncle, Vern, who is 95 years old, and he's had a rather interesting few weeks. Six weeks ago, he lost his wife of over 60 years, moved from Pennsylvania to Anderson, Indiana, moved into an assisted living that became infected with the virus. He contact, contracted the virus. He's asystematic, but uh, he's kind of confined. And his statement to my wife was through tears that I, I feel like a victim. Sometimes in these crazy times, we may feel like we're victims and we may wonder, does God really care about us? Well, my prayer this morning is that as we look again at God's word, that we'll discover that God is at work in those times, even when we don't recognize it, those defining moments of our lives that God's at work. But before we can get there, we have to look at some difficult questions. When I was 23 years old, I went, became a senior pastor at Clearwater, Florida, and then at age 25, I received a phone call from a fellow pastor who asked me if I would do the funeral service for his nephew. Well, I was pretty experienced. I'd done four funerals in my life. And so I was agreeable, but I'd never done a funeral for someone this young. His nephew was four years old. And I can picture that setting as if it happened yesterday, and it's been 40 years. I was looking down at the mother, and she had an expression on her face of anguish, pain, confusion, anger. She sat on the front row, and she had bandages above her elbows on both arms. She was eight months pregnant. Her little boy, Tommy, was playing in the bedroom, and somehow he got a hold of some matches. And somehow he was able to light the matches, and somehow he was able to light the mattress in his room. It smoldered for a while, then suddenly burst into flames, and he was trapped between the mattress and the outside wall. His mother desperately tried to reach him. That's how she had the burns on both of her arms. A neighbor heard the screams, took an axe, and cut through the exterior wall, but it was too late. Tommy was gone. That seems like an extreme story, but I've seen that same expression so many times over the years. Brian Jones wrote a book, and the title of the book was Second Guessing God. And he said, when people second guess God, when people wonder if God cares, when people wonder if God exists, if people wonder if God really is involved in their lives, usually one of three things has happened. The first is disappointment. We all know people who have had a disappointing life. Things haven't turned out the way they anticipated. The one most likely to succeed in high school didn't. And I can remember when I was in college, Dan was a year ahead of me, we were friends. He was a good student, smart guy, Asked good questions, a good brain. Uh, I kind of lost track of him. And then 
four years into my ministry in Clearwater, one Sunday, Dan showed up at church. And it was perfect timing because we were building a new building and uh, we were doing it ourselves. And he was uh, a drywall guy. And so many days in the evenings, he would volunteer his time on Saturdays. And I worked with him. We hung most of the drywall at the church. And I can't tell you how many times as we were doing that, Dan would look at me and say, I can't believe how my life has turned out. I have a college degree. This is not what I planned for my life. This is not what I thought I would be doing. It's not rare to find people disappointed with their lives, but it's particularly difficult for Christ followers. Because if Christ really loves me and if, if I'm his child, then how is he allowing me or why is he allowing me to live a life of mediocrity? Why isn't he fixing this? And it's really easy sometimes when we have a disappointing life to feel like that maybe God has uh, deserted us and we become passionless about life or even worse, we become cynical and bitter towards God. Some people are not just disappointed. They're run over by life. Their lives are broken. And they feel like that uh, there's no hope for them. I was called to be a witness at a church, at a, at a trial for some men that work for one of our national agencies. And I was in the trial room before it started with these two men and their attorney. And the look on their face was that same look of deep hurt and deep pain. One of the men I knew well, and, and he was a chairman of my board in Clearwater, and he was a very successful businessman. He gave up his business because he wanted to serve the rest of his life in the church, working for the church. But somehow things had gone wrong. And he was accused, and the other man was accused of fraud. And even though the judge said, there's absolutely no evidence that these men benefited in any way from their work, in this organization. They were convicted by a jury that had no church attenders in the 12 people that served on the jury. It was amazing to me in Indianapolis, there'd be no church attenders. And they made the decision that these men were guilty and the judge gave them a fine and probation, but they were broken. Their hearts were broken. Where was the God that they so desperately sought to serve? Sometimes life is disappointing, sometimes life breaks us, and sometimes life destroys us, it devastates us. Sandy Patty's a very popular gospel singer that is very famous, especially in the Church of God. And several years ago, many years ago now, Sandy went through a very painful divorce. And she wrote a book entitled, Broken on the Back Row, A Journey Through Grace and forgiveness. It's a story of her terrible divorce, her pain, her suffering, her loneliness, her lostness, and her long journey back to God. Sometimes when we go through difficult things, we realize it's our fault. We did some things wrong. We went the wrong direction. We made some mistakes. But sometimes there's no logical reason the lady came to me in my church. She was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, she sang in the choir. She sang duets with her husband in church. And she said she wanted to meet with me. 
She sat down across from me and she began to cry. That's really not the best description. It was more of a wail. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. And then I remembered that her brother had died. So I thought, well, maybe she's struggling with grief. And so I started talking to her as, as Christ followers that death is not the end, that we have this hope in Christ. And she quit crying and she got this very angry look on her face. And she said to me, I'm glad my brother is dead. Well, I wasn't quite expecting that. And she went on to tell me the story of years of sexual abuse by her brother. A story that she had never told to her husband, to her many children, to her parents, or to any of her siblings. She had carried this dark, heavy burden all these years. And I had remarked to my wife one time that, that she seemed sad all the time, and now I understood. She had carried despair in her life. There was darkness, and it kicked down the door and moved into her life. Disappointment brokenness, devastation, can cause any of us to doubt God's goodness and cause us to question his plan for our lives. But I have some really good news for you this morning. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced in your life, no matter how devastating your life may have been, no matter how far you may feel from God right now, no matter how angry or bitter your life may have become, no matter how tempted you are to give in to despair, I can make you this one promise if you hold on to God. If you ever in Florida stand on a beach, you know, when the water goes out, it, it pulls out the sand with it and you find yourself kind of on shaky ground. When that last piece of sand is gone, if you are a Christ follower, you will find yourself standing on a solid rock. In Christ, we trust. Part of our problem is our agenda and God's agenda is very different. You know, our, we seek safety and we seek happiness and we seek fulfillment. We want to live on Lake Wobegon. Remember Lake Wobegon? Garrison Keeler, the radio personality, made up this mythical place called Lake Wobegon where he describes it as the men were strong, the women were beautiful, and all the children were above average. It was a place where the sun always shines. It was a place where diets always work. It's a place where you always got raises. And you wanted God to pack up your truck and pay your closing costs and move you to Lake Wobegon. And when you discover that your personal happiness is not God's primary goal for your life, then you're tempted to ask the question, where is God? Guess what? You're not the first one to ask that question. Listen to Psalm 77. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promises failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? What's God's agenda for our lives? God's agenda for your life is not just your personal happiness. God's agenda is your transformation, 
to be made into his image. Listen to what it says in Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Now, how does this transformation take place? Well, I can tell you it usually doesn't happen on the shores of Lake Wobegon. In fact, James tells us it takes place through trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time putting trials of many kinds and counted all joy in the same room together at the same time. When I think of counting it all joy, I don't usually think a lot about trials. I think about a hot summer afternoon in Florida with an ice cold Coke. I think about going out to eat with some folks and they pay the tab. I think about eating a piece of peanut butter pie and stepping on the scales and I lost a pound. I think about being a grandparent and taking care of my grandkids and then sending them home with their parents, pure joy. Trying to hold a couple's marriage together and it falling apart, that's not pure joy. Praying with someone who's going through cancer, that's not pure joy. How can our agenda and God's agenda be so different? Yet he tells us that his goal is to complete us, to cause us to be lacking in nothing. You see, our problem is, our perspective is we see the problem, the immediate problem in front of us. And God's perspective is not limited to time and space. He sees in light of eternity. Paul kind of helps us understand that when he writes in 2 Corinthians, in, in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Then Paul explains his optimism about these trials with these words, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. Now, I would venture to say that when you're going through trials of many kinds, you don't see it as light and momentary troubles. It feels much more difficult than that. And yet God, from God's perspective, his goal is our transformation. And so he sees life differently. And Paul kind of helps us in verse 18 when he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. God's agenda is much deeper than our happiness. Our happiness changes momentarily, depending on how the day goes, how good breakfast was, whether the car had a flat tire. So many things can change our happiness. It's clear that God lets us go through difficult moments in our lives. 
But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of what he wants to do in our lives as he completes us and gives us his joy. So when we have this big question, where is God? Where is God when I suffer? Where is God when I lose my job? Where is God when my kids get sick? Where is God when I have cancer? Where is God when my spouse dies? Where is God when it seems the whole world has a virus? Brian Jones each year asks the people to submit questions to him, questions they would like to ask God. And from those questions, he does a four-part sermon series. And he said it's really hard not to be redundant because every year over half of the questions deal with that subject. Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God when life is not going well for me? I want us to understand the answer to that question in light of Joshua. For three weeks now, we've been looking at Joshua's story. You remember the the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, and Moses led them out of slavery as they were asking, where is God for 400 years? And they go through the Red Sea, and the waters part, and they go into the desert. And for 40 years, they wander around the desert because the people didn't believe. And now Moses is dead, and Joshua has the new mantle of leadership. And God has told him, I want you to lead the people into the promised land. So they're on the east side of the Jordan River, about a million folks. And normally that crossing would be dangerous, but not ridiculous. But it tells us the Jordan River was at flood stage. At flood stage, it's over a mile wide. And I'm sure that the Israelites were saying, okay, God brought us out. He's going to drown us in the Jordan River. But listen to what it says. In Joshua 3.16, as soon as the priest who carried the ark touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Serathon. Now, this is the part where we get a mental image that's often incorrect. We're still thinking Red Sea, water on both sides piled up and we're walking through on dry land. That's not what is happening here. This takes place at Adam. It's 19 miles upstream. They can't see what God is doing. In other words, God is performing a miracle out of their sight and beyond their perception. Why is this significant? Because I believe God is often working upstream in our lives, just out of sight, out of our line of vision, Where is God when our lives are falling apart? He's working upstream on our behalf. We can't always see when God's at work. And the problem is right in front of us, and that's all we see. But he encourages us by faith to look upstream. You see, it's important to know that we have to trust something. And if we're going to trust God, we have to know that he is working on our behalf even when it seems like our prayers aren't going anywhere. It's important to remember that this is his promise that he gives us in Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, there's two things that you need to recognize there, two truths. One, God works for good in all things, 
even the bad things, when we mess up, even the sin in our life, God can take our failures and turn them into good. And his purpose is for our good. God is working behind the scenes and everything for our purpose and for our good and for our well-being because he loves us. Trials and tests and temptations all have one thing in common. They're temporary. You can outlast them. And James tells us if we outlast them, there's a reward. Listen to what he says. God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Part of living this life of faith is learning to trust what we cannot see. I can't always see God working upstream in my life, but I know that he is. And I know it's for my good. How do I know that? Because I've observed it in so many lives. When Brenda and I were in college, one of our friends was a gal named Nancy tremendously talented person, great singer, pretty girl, and she faced some trials of many kinds. Her first marriage didn't go well. Her first husband would tell you it was because he didn't know Christ and he wasn't living for Christ. But the marriage dissolved. It was painful. Then Nancy met a, a, a new person And he was a pastor and she was so excited because all of her life she had wanted to work in the church. And so as he would preach, she would lead worship and it was going great. And then there was a spot on her tongue. They did a biopsy, it was cancer. And they had to remove over 50% of her tongue. And they told her with a lot of rehab, she would be able to talk so people could recognize and understand what she was saying and she asked about singing and they said no that would never happen but God was working upstream not too long ago we saw Nancy and you could understand her perfectly and she told us that she's again singing songs in church with half a tongue God at work upstream A few years ago, Jim Lyon, the director of the Church of God, was speaking in Guyana, uh, a South American country, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Church of God in this country. The place was packed that night as he was speaking, and two people came in, rather distinguished folks, and they made their way up to the front of the church, and the place was silent as they were coming in. And the man looked at Jim and asked if he could share. And Jim immediately told him he could because he recognized him. He was the prime minister of Guyana. And he came to tell them that night that many years ago, he was a young boy in poverty that knew nothing about God or Jesus. And a man named Herman Smith, a Church of God missionary, introduced him to Jesus, changed his life, changed the trajectory of his life. And he goes, I just came to tell you thank you for the Church of God and its ministry in this country. Milton Granham was sharing about that story. And he shared that he knew that prime minister because they both grew up in the same neighborhood. They were both impoverished kids. And when Herman uh, came to the church, uh, came to the country, he began to teach them about Jesus. And one of the first things he did, he had a Bible school for junior boys, 79-year-old boys. And he asked Milton, if he would be his helper. Milton said, man, I went home and I got my best set of clothes and my only pair of shoes. I was somebody, I was gonna be helping the pastor. 
And he did help the pastor until he did his eulogy many years later. Milton said that Herman Smith taught him about tithing and he didn't have a job. And so he wasn't quite sure how he was going to tithe. So he decided that he would walk four miles to Herman's house. And there at the house, he would take care of the dog and wash the dog and weed the garden and do anything else he could do to help. And over time, he did this for years. One of those Saturdays, Herman's wife said to him, Milton, I can't wait to the day that you graduate from college. And Milton said, I didn't even know how to comprehend that. I didn't know anybody that even graduated from high school, college. But she planted seeds in his life. And those seeds in his life became a reality and two masters and three doctorates later, those seeds planted up seed began to change his impact. Now, just because God was working upstream didn't mean that everything went perfectly. Milton shared that his father and his brothers would meet him when he got out of the church service at night and they would beat him up because they didn't want him going to church. And they beat him so badly on one of his ears, they had to have several surgeries. But he stayed faithful because he knew God was working in his life. And because of that, Milton Granham has touched thousands of lives, thousands of lives for Christ. Today, you may be wondering, where is God? But if you're a committed person of faith, I can promise you that God's at work upstream bringing about his plans for you and through you to others. But God can't do that unless we allow him to work. God sometimes does miracles that astound us. They're immediate. Someone gets healed. A problem that's needed is solved quickly. But usually it's a period of time that God works, bringing about his purpose as he's working upstream. When I went to Whitechapel Church in Daytona, it was at a very hard time in the life of that church. They had been without a pastor for two years. They'd lost over half of their membership. Uh, it, it was just an ugly scene. And so when I came there, uh, one of the first things we had to figure out is, what's this church supposed to be? What are, what are they supposed to do? What's their mission? And together we came up with this mission statement, changing our world, starting in this community one heart at a time. And I remember thinking, that's a pretty brave statement for a church of 300 people. We're going to change the world. How's that going to happen? Well, God was working upstream. There's a young guy named Raphael from Brazil that wanted to be a pilot. He went to Embry-Riddle and he lived with us for a year. And Raphael began to bring his friends to church and one Sunday morning, I was sitting and counting, and there were 18 different nations represented in our worship service. And I started thinking, those folks are going to go back to their countries, and they're going to change the world. God was working upstream. God sometimes does his miracles immediately, but usually it's a, a period of time that he's working one day at a time. And today, you may not see clearly how God is working in your life. And, and you may wonder if he's forgotten you. Well, let me assure you today that God is upstream, changing the world through you and through your influence. 
Our task is to faithfully let go and allow God to work in us and through us. To by faith believe that these light and momentary problems will bring about an eternal glory that far outweighs everything. Brian Jones in his book talks about the fact that his friends went to the Middle East and he couldn't go because he just got married and he had no money. And when they got home, they asked him if he would help take some stuff up to their apartment. And one of the things they had to take was this big old rug. He goes, it was a smelly, ugly rug. And he goes, I don't even know why they brought this thing back. And when they got it up there, they said, man, we stole this thing for a few hundred dollars. And Brian said, I wouldn't have given them $10 for that rug. It was, you know, it wasn't pretty. It had strings hanging out. And the guy said, oh, no, 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 it's, it's upside down, turn it over. And when they turned it over, Brian said it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was a genuine Persian rug. The colors were amazing. It was truly a treasure. I'm not sure what you're going through today, but I know that some of you are going through trials of many kinds. And I would guess that some of you are trying to fix it yourself but I would encourage you today to realize that God's at work upstream in your life. And let me share you with you this wonderful truth. The day will come that all of us will die. And if you're a Christ follower, you're going to stand before the Lord and, and he's going to welcome you. And as he's sharing with you, perhaps he'll say, do you remember when people said things about you and hurt your feelings? Do you remember when you went through that really difficult loss in your life? Do you remember when things were happening and you just couldn't understand why they were happening? That's the backside of the rug. Flip it over. I want you to see what I was doing in you and through you in those moments that you could not see, in those moments you could not understand. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not losing faith because I was working upstream in your life. I have a good friend at Monroe City, Indiana. He's a chiropractor. And while I was serving there, I got to be really good friends because I was having some back problems and he worked on me a lot. And when I shared this whole idea of upstream, he goes, man, I love that. He was remodeling his office. He goes, I want to, I want to find a picture that will kind of say that to people that God's working upstream. And, and he found this picture and uh, it's a picture that symbolized to him what God is doing upstream, out of sight for us. So as you face your trials today, just remember, fellow Christians, God's at work, just out of sight. And he's working through you and for you to complete you and to give you a joy the world can never take away. Would you pray with me? Where is God? He's working upstream. He's completing us so that we can be the people he wants us to be. He's upstream empowering us and working through us to change our worlds and to change the people around us. And there are many of those people that we'll never know about this side of heaven. So today, Lord, help us to set our eyes on things above. And as we go through trials of many kinds, give us courage to hold on to you and to believe that you're working upstream to change our situations, to change our lives, to change our world. And for that, we'll give you praise and glory. 
in Christ's name. Amen.
so deep, so wide, so strong, that he's willing to work out ahead. He's willing to work upstream. He's way ahead. Thank you, Lord, that you're way ahead of us, and you're out in front, and you're leading, and you're working for our good. And it's your purpose that we should be chasing, your presence that we should be chasing, your will for our lives is what we should be chasing. And so we chase that this morning. But thankfully, Lord, we're not so far behind that we're not with you. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for loving us enough to have a plan and a purpose for us that you're striving towards. And may we see it and we may we follow hard after you, Lord, and know how special and important we are in your eyes. Thank you for your love and your grace. And thank you for your, your forethought into the future, into our future. Thank you that we can be a part of it with you. What a gift. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And we love you. Again, an update on Many Things Pathway are in the e-news special edition that was sent out to your email inbox on Friday afternoon. Please watch that video and know that we miss and love you, Pathway Church. We'll see you next Sunday.